the technology department, uh, the fun department of the school down the back there. We're sort of left to our own devices a lot, but we're trusted and that's the important thing. So, I was invited um, early on this year to speak, I'll get an adjustment going on here, Simo, to speak to, um, to you guys at Refresh and Thanks, mate. And um, Simo caught me in a moment of weakness. And um, I thought, well, towards the end of the year, Simo, that gives me a little bit of time. I've got some things I've got to do. And the time comes quicker than you think. And particularly when the end of the year you've got a whole heap of stuff going on and teachers realise what that's like at this time of the year. You're trying to get through everything efficiently and effectively and responsibly. So I'm going to um, own up to one of my responsibilities to Simo today. Thanks Simo. And, uh, and speak to you. But before I do, I'd ask if you could bow your heads as I pray. Dear loving Father in heaven, we thank you for being a gracious God. We thank you that uh, at all times that you are there waiting to hear from us any grievances, the challenges that we have. I ask that uh, as I speak here at Refresh today, that my words be yours. And we press upon the hearts of the congregation here. In your name, amen. I want to take some time this morning to talk to you about something that can be a really difficult thing to do, and that's having a change of heart. It's a difficult thing to do because the heart is all about emotion. It's about belief, what we believe. It's not necessarily about facts or reality. It's about a perception in many cases. <clears throat> it's an indefinable part of ourselves that causes us to do so many things. It's home base for our wants, our desires, to buy the things we want to buy, to go the places that we want to go. We know that our heart is incredibly powerful. Once our heart is set on something, it's almost impossible to change it. It drives us. But on occasion, it happens. Just every now and then, our heart changes. Maybe it's something that we've seen, something we've done, something we've realised, something people have told us or made us aware of. And we've got reason to change our heart belief. So this morning, it's on, we're on about, have you ever had a change of heart? Just be clear, I'm not talking about when you woke up this morning, you looked at the check shirt and you chose the striped shirt. Otherwise, I would have had a change of heart this morning. Check didn't match my hairstyle this morning. Stripes did. Think Mr. B matches? a stripy day. I'm talking more about how you used to care less about what you ate, those big, great, greasy hamburgers and fried chips, 
and now you're eating food cooked from scratch, food made with tons of kale and chia seeds. I haven't. I did, yeah, I've got some more kind of white fly, just got my last batch of kale and unfortunately Mr B last week had to make the soup, the soup kitchen without the kale. I'm going to plant some more. You can get them from um, Kabucha Markets. $2 for 15 about that size. Only takes about six weeks, endless supply. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that change of heart when you do a complete flip. You do a complete flip from eating all that garbage and you're into that stuff, chia seeds, quinoa and all the things we talked about. Now you're a paleo, gluten-free, taste-free eater. If values are an indication of an organisation's heart, it seems there is one company that has undergone a change of heart in recent times. This company proclaims as its values on its website, responsibility and sustainability. Any ideas which company this might be? Doesn't sound like McDonald's. What's that? BP? No. Oh, look at that. Stas Auto, VW. Can you believe that is supposed to be at the heart of this company's values? This is their core ideology. Look at what's happened in recent times. I propose that their change of heart should now read on their website responsibility and sustainability first asterisk, if you purchase, small print, if you purchase our petrol engine vehicles, below that, can't even read that, diesel engine vehicles not covered by our values. About a change of heart. For the worse, obviously. Or was it ever, that's debatable, was it ever that that was social responsibility, sustainability is at their, um, at the heart of what they believe. What about how our heart feels about people? It's even more difficult to have a change of heart about a person. At some point along the way, have you ever had a belief or an opinion about somebody and you've had to change it? It's a hard thing to do when you think, I know what that person is, I know what they stand for. How difficult is it to have a change of heart towards that person? Is it because their values, their beliefs, what they do and say is different to you? It's a hard thing to do, like you just believe that person is totally arrogant and self-centred. But now you've had a change of heart and they're at the top of your Christmas card list and your best friends. That's a change of heart. 
when that happens? What if one day a daughter... Now, I've taken this as a cheap shot to be able to uh, put my daughter up on the screen. I'm proud of this little girl. This is my willow. She can't be here today. They're visiting their grandfather. Dave's quite, quite sick and my wife and kids haven't had a chance to see him of late. Spending some time with him. What if your daughter that you love so dearly was to bring home that's tough um, <clears throat> I sort of hope I'm never challenged with that because that's going to take some <laughs> a heap of prayer isn't it that one or the following boyfriend after that one is this one. <laughs> Going to dig deep. <laughs> Holy Spirit, please be with me. Please help me through this. Give me the words to speak and the words to say. Because you don't know. Can you have a change of heart? Can you have a change of heart? Now you've had a change of heart and you can't imagine that your daughter is with anybody else but this guy. Are we looking at external? It's easy, isn't it, to judge external. We get these, pre, these, these, these perceptions, these perceptions of what people are without giving opportunity at times to show who they really are. What about your boss? Have you ever thought, I can't stand my boss, he's so unfair, he's arrogant, he's brutal, all he cares about is himself and his company and his bottom line. Now you've had a change of heart and you can't imagine working for anybody else. You love this guy. <laughs> now just let me say this, we don't think that at North Pine. We've always loved our bosses, Yako, Janelle and Graham. We don't have to have a change of heart because we love them already. But once your heart believes something about someone or something, it's tough to change it. If we have ever had anyone try and talk us out of what our heart wants, how mad do we get? If we already don't like him, your daughter keeps telling us how her ink nose ring infested bad attitude boyfriend is wonderful. It makes it all so much worse. Whether it is a heart belief or an emotional belief, we get defensive. Just let me think what my heart wants to think. How much more difficult is it to change our heart about God? Have you ever had anybody try and change your heart and tell you what you should be thinking about God, how you worship God, how you should be praying to God? Have you ever had anybody challenge you on that? It gets frustrating. I think, hopefully, 
we are astute enough to know that everything our heart thinks isn't necessarily 100% correct. Because it's coming from a place that is driven by emotion and as I mentioned earlier, not necessarily driven by fact. Not everything we believe about people in our lives can be true or perfectly right. What if we've got something wrong about something we believe about God? I think that's a pretty big deal. How do we know that we need a change of heart about someone or about God? Because our heart never wants to change. We don't want to let our heart tell us everything we believe because our heart can be wrong. Our heart can't be trusted all the time. I want to be able to look at my heart, its beliefs, my beliefs about people, about God, and to check them. To say, is this right or is this wrong? There's a story in the Bible about a man who needed a change of heart. And Jesus helped him understand this through a parable, as Jesus so often did. In stories, the way that we know that Jesus communicated, and it seems to get to us, these stories, in a way that, that information giving just can't. It helps us put ourselves in that story and check our beliefs. In this story, Jesus gives an expert in the Jewish law who was desperately seeking a change of heart the tools to do this. Of course, these same tools are for our benefit too. These tools will enable us to control and check the things our heart believes. This story is found in Luke 10 and takes place right towards the end of Jesus' life. At this stage, he'd been teaching for about three years. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the expert knew the law incredibly well. This guy was someone who... I picture was those biblical scholars who sat in circles and they debated about various parts of the Bible. At times they would have been in conflict with each other and they be able to justify their position why they believe that they knew this is no this is exactly what it's saying you're wrong. Okay, we'll arrive at that and now we're we're building our understanding of the law and the Bible. So this expert knew the law incredibly well and memorised it back the front. He knew what made God happy and what made him mad. He was a well-educated man. He was an expert in God. So he is coming to Jesus because Jesus has been around and the word was out that this guy, Jesus, could potentially be the Messiah. And I guess he's trying to cover all bases because he knew the law so well. But he thought, well, I'm going to go and check with this bloke, Jesus, just to make sure 
that all my bases are covered so I can have eternal life. He wants to make sure he's on that Jewish Messiah's team. He was trying to refine, I guess, his checklist and make sure he's doing everything, or has done, will do, everything he can do to have eternal life. And ask him the question. He says, oh, doesn't say that. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, do Jesus doesn't answer him directly. Instead, he says, what is written in the law? There we go. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Great teaching principle that all teachers know well when a kids ask you a question, what do we do? We say, hey, what do you think? Because teachers then get the understanding of where they're at and we can build on that, can't we, teachers? Sometimes it takes the pressure off teachers too. They don't know the answer. I never do that. Okay, sometimes. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Basically, Jesus is asking a question, what do you think God wants you to do? What do you think it takes to be on God's team? This is the question. This is the one question for all of us. If you believe in God at all, you have to, you've got to ask yourself, what do you think God wants us to do? This is the question that all of us has to ask. Don't you want to know what God wants us to do so you can have eternal life? I'm sure you do. So, this expert in the law, the Jewish expert, he says, okay, you're right, I am an expert, thank you for saying that, yes. I'll reply, I'll give you the answer. And it is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind. The people around him there were saying, yep, you know what, this guy's spot on, he knows it. It was painted all around the doorways of the Jewish houses. These same words. Love your God, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. I know all the laws, there's over 600 of them, but I know the main one, and it's this. But then, he says, and. That's a big one. Because at this point in time, the biblical scholars, the theologians, all those well-studied biblical people would have said this and that's it. But he says, and. Everyone you can imagine around Jesus at the time and around the expert would have been thinking, hold on, what's going on here? Where is this guy going with this? And, and on top of that one? And.
love your neighbour as yourself. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. And this was the answer of all of the thing God wants us to do with our lives. The first one, this is the one. But this one was now added. Well, in actual fact, it wasn't really added because in Leviticus, back earlier on, Mr. B, correct me if I'm wrong, Leviticus 19, see something around there. But it was never on the same plane. They were all quite separate. But now he had brought them together. Love your neighbour as yourself. This was huge. This was monumental. Every Jew knew there was one great commandment. But this second one came along. Jesus agreed and said, yes, these are the two greatest commandments you have answered correctly. Because you see, what's likely to have happened is that this expert scholar is probably monitoring Jesus, watching from afar, maybe up the front from time to time, and he realised that from his teachings, this is what Jesus is also talking about, love your neighbour as yourself. And obviously Jesus demonstrated that throughout his time here on earth. So he's a bit astute, but he was very challenged by this. Because you see, the problem is that Hare was this expert in the law, the person that everybody goes to when they have confusion or have a question about the law, about the Bible. This is a leader within the community. challenging. He is thinking, do I have to love those people that aren't on my same level? Is that what, what does Jesus mean here? And that was what the expert was really looking for. Give me a little bit of uh, a direction here. Jesus, tell me, can you narrow the pool a little bit? Because there's a fair few undesirables out there. We've got the, all the unmentionables, the prostitutes. We've got the Samaritans. There's a whole heap of big list of people out there that aren't up to the same level. Sometimes, does that ever enter our minds? Does it ever enter our minds that someone isn't up to our level. Jesus elevated this second part in his teachings. This second part after the end wasn't made up on the spot. It had been around, as we said before, early in Leviticus. They had just never seen these two laws together. With this expert... He was challenged because he wasn't sure how he was going to love everybody if Jesus was going to tell him everybody. Now, Jesus could have very easily said there and then, you know what, mate? 
Yep, you've got to love everybody. Done and dusted, that's it, off you go. But instead, he put it into this parable. Who really meets their neighbour's needs and loves them as themselves? I mean, I'm going to be happy if you win the lotto, but I'm going to be a whole heap happier if I win it. I'll give you some. That's a big thing when you're going for the same job. And that other guy going for the same job you're thinking, I hope I can pick him at the post because I really want this job, but then you miss out on the job. Are we supposed to feel as happy for them getting the job as us if we got the job? That's tough. That's really tough. You know the Miss Universe pageants? You know where I'm going with this. You see all the girls up there they're thinking, oh, I hope I win. I hope that Brazil doesn't win it again because she's won it the last three years straight. I hope I win. They come runner-up, but they genuinely have got this great act. <laughs> I'm so happy you won it. I'm so happy that I came second. Fantastic. This was what I really wanted to come second. That's tough. So the parable, there's this man going from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's attacked by robbers. You know the story. They beat him and left him half dead. There's a priest who was walking down the road after this man was beaten, half dead, lying there in the hot sun without any water. The priest continued to walk straight past. Glanced across, would have seen him in the middle of the path. Of course you're going to see him. Those paths weren't six-lane highways. They were walking tracks. And walked past. Short time later, Levite, a Levite comes walking down from Jerusalem to Jericho and passes him and continues on. Doesn't stop by to help the Samaritan. Ah, oh, sorry, the, the Jew. Samaritan comes along. Somebody who the Jews couldn't stand. There was so much religious and racial tension between those two. It was unimaginable that a Samaritan was help a Jew, and yet he stopped. And what did he do? Did he stop to say good day? He stopped. He saw, and he felt pity for. He felt pity for the Jewish man that had been beaten. He got out his water wine, oil, without the water, Mr. B? Probably would have given him a drink of water. And then cleaned him up. 
and then proceeded to load him onto his donkey and take him to a nearby inn. When he dropped him at the inn, he said to the innkeeper, listen, here's some money. I want you to look after this beaten Jew for me. Can you please take care of him? I'm going to be back in the next couple of days or so and anything that it's cost you over and above what I've given you, I'll get back to you. That's a massive thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that's a massive thing that this Samaritan did. <clears throat> and the key that we, I'll talk a little bit later on is he took pity. It's exactly the opposite of what our heart does when we see someone we don't like. We simply don't want to empathise with them. We often feel like we'd prefer to categorise them. They've told a lie in the past, so they're a liar. They've done some bad stuff in the past. We put them into categories. Oh, this is what you are, this is who you are, and so by doing that, we justify not having to engage with them. I don't have to love you, I don't want to be kind, it's so much easier if we can categorise them. I know that you lied, I know that you cheated, I know that you beat. We make caricatures of people, and this is why I don't have to like you, because you've done these, this stuff. And this Samaritan, when he sees this person, he takes pity. The priest and the Levite, they saw him, they saw someone who was unclean, an inconvenience, a contradiction to the law. They had more important stuff to do. They were out there for the greater good of the community, not the individual. But the thing was, the Samaritan looked and in taking pity, he realised, I'm going to help this guy because I would want someone to do the same for me. I would want someone to pick me up when I'm broken. When I'm falling apart, I would want someone to be there and help me through it. Have you ever had a change of heart about someone? Has, has this happened to you when you realise that your neighbour who's selfish, egotistical, arrogant is actually lonely and didn't have any friends? <laughs> I've got this neighbour across the way where I live and my wife will sit and I sit out the front and have coffees in the mornings and, and we didn't engage him for a few weeks and he, an older guy... He's got an AMG Mercedes, you know, the $275,000 ones. And his wife's got the matching red one with the roof that, you know, comes down. And he looked quite grumpy. And my wife said, um, I, I said to him one day, I said, oh, I'm going to have a chat to old mate, Jeffrey. I'm going to have a chat to him and... Um, just find out what makes him tick. Maybe I can meet him on some level and we can find a connection. 
And she said, oh, Troy, I've seen how he looks at the kids when they cross his lawn when they're coming back from school. I don't know if you should. I don't think he's too happy. I think, ah, let's grab the bull by the horns. What can, what can happen? And I went and spoke to him and I was thinking, what sort of reaction am I going to get? Because he looks mighty grumpy. How can I connect with this guy? Just like everybody else. I was happy to go back and report to my wife, he's a top bloke. He's invited me in to come and see all the steam trains, little models that he used to build. He's a fitter and turner. We had a connection there. We had a change of heart pretty quickly once we got to know him. It's about getting to know people. What's their background? What has really caused them or had an impact to make them the way they are? One thing I think North Pine does very well is that we often talk about in our worships, in our staff meetings, we talk about the kids, the challenges that we have with the kids, but then I hear different people. I hear Starrett, Dustin Dever, Yarko, Bondi. The teachers say, hey, listen, this is going on. This will help a bit more perspective, give a bit more perspective. And it does. Maybe there's reasons why people are or act or say or do the things that they do. I've been in schools before where that doesn't happen. It's you teach, you deliver what you've got to deliver. The students are a number, pretty much. But here is a difference, and it makes a difference. We get to know them, we take pity on them, and we help them through the tough times. The Good Samaritan story is a gospel story. Jesus came by, he saw you as that bandaged Jewish guy who had been beaten up. He bandaged you and, 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 and picked you up. And he gave his life for us. And we know what God thinks about us. Jesus wasn't finished with the expert. He wanted to change the heart of this guy because this guy had another huge problem. He thought it was all about performance, how I get to heaven. It was all about what I need to do. He had a messed up view of how God saw him. It's so easy to think that God cares solely about a performance and thinking that if we do all the right things that God is going to bless us and accept us. Like the Samaritan, no matter who we are, what we have done, God takes pity on me and you and accepts us anyway. Let's pray. Dear loving Father in heaven, we thank you that you're a gracious God that we can mess up on so many occasions but you are still there to pick up the pieces and we pray that today that you give us a special measure of pity on others on having that same will and drive to see ourselves succeed that we want to see our enemies succeed as well 
and enjoy an abundant life. We pray all these things in your name. Amen.